Hello and welcome back to another thrilling installment of X Rental. Today we're doing with two ladies combined, uh, are the first, which is two girls talking about pop culture and everything in between. But separately, they're Steph McKenna and April Markham. Ladies, welcome. Hello. 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 How's it going? It's going wonderfully. Thank you for joining us on X Rental. Uh, this show charts back your lineage of video or DVD renting, depending on your age. I wouldn't like to speculate um and um and yeah talk about video shop experiences and then go on to like a film that you would say is typifying the 90s which is obviously the most varied and weird decade probably ever in existence ah, so you got any questions so. for the ladies i mean first of all what is your video shop origin what was it called where was it where do you want to do you want to go first april yeah, sure. So uh, I have two video shop origins, mostly because I moved uh, a fairly integral part in my childhood. So my first one was in the spa in the uh, village that I grew up in, uh, in rural Norfolk. Um, I just, like, what is better than a spa shop? Like, you can go and get your snacks and also uh, go and get videos. Still got one, mate. Still got one. He's still got, you live near a spa, proper jealous. Um, yeah. So there was that one. And then when I was 11, I moved to a different village. And then there was a video shop at the end of my new road that was literally, I think, just called Video Shop. Uh, yeah, like catchy Monster. name. I did I did Google earlier to try and find, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I did Google to try and find out what it was called, but I'm pretty sure it just was called like Video Shop. Um, and it was brilliant, just a proper mecca, you know, used to had snacks, used to sell X rental titles as well. Um, they sold posters. I've still got uh, a framed 10 Things I Hate About You poster I bought probably in about 2002 because they were getting rid of it. Um, and yeah, so that, those for me are the two like standout video shop locations that were really like integral for me in kind of conjuring my love of film. Love we, we, we were talking about the the spa style video shops in our in our intro episodes there was the i had one which was similar it was just an off license basically yeah but they only had like 20 titles but that was <laughs> what was great it was like yeah like i think because i was so young i imagine it in my head that there were like tons of titles but like in retrospect now having been back to that village like as an adult I know it just wouldn't have been the case it probably it's would have shame. been like a proper streamlined collection but to me as a kid I thought there was like like shit loads there but like obviously wasn't Steph how about you uh mine was blockbuster baby obviously oh, um scum. I know well <laughs> see when I was a kid we didn't have a lot of money to rent things so I did a lot of taping off the television that's where like most of my like horror film watching just yeah most of the films that I watched were taped off the tv like late night television but yeah then it was blockbuster I was a blockbuster employee between the ages of 17 to 21 it's kind of like it's like escaping a cult have you had anyone on the podcast yet who has worked in a blockbuster I did my work experience at a blockbuster nice that when was like I... the cool job. That was like the cool job in my. Like, I lived in a tiny town. That was the sole cool job to have. Like that was a top tier job. Everyone was jealous of it. Yeah, because you got like, the snacks, the titles, the weirdos, the free, the free rentals, which obviously made you very oh, popular. Oh, very very popular. You used to get the titles like you could rent them about a week before they came out on the shelf as well. So that was pretty good. So I didn't work at Blockbuster. Um, but the girl I lived with at uni did. And this is a story I'll never forget because there weren't 
we should we should sell should i bring a film back so we're like yeah of course look we're all on student loans here like free 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 uh she, she could bring back like i am sam and we like all right <laughs> cool wow but, uh, but she was, nice. i think it was the week before she was leaving to go back home she was like I've, i'm gonna get one more rental to make sure you bring it back um, what do you want and we were like look just something new and that is supposed to be really good she came back with the adventures adventures of pluto nash wow Ooh. it just sat there no one watched it it was like oh, oh. thanks oh that's such a like, choice yeah but then this was someone whose favorite song in the whole world is i wish it could be christmas every day like would, oh. would listen to it in may and that's, are you still friends with that person? No. No. Oh, no 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 she disappeared really into the ether <laughs> I've got a really distinct memory of um, a little old lady coming and asking me if I could find a DVD that her little grandson wanted to watch and it was Human Centipede, but she thought it was like a Pixar film. She was like, you know, the one with the bugs. It's like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> On to business. Tell me, what film did you pick? Drum roll. Uh, we have chosen uh, David Fincher's Seven. Released in the UK in January 1996, the same month sees the first flip mobile phone on sale. The 6,138 performance of Cats is held in London, thus surpassing the record of Broadway's longest-running musical, A Chorus Line. And President Jacques Chirac confirms France will no longer test nuclear weapons following an international outcry over tests in the Pacific, which is unfortunately too late to prevent the release of Roland Emmerich's Godzilla later on this decade. <laughs> Guys, what made you pick seven? What well, made us pick seven? Well, apart from the fact that it's a fucking baller film, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, mostly Brad Pitt. It's it's a sexy film in the nineties. It's it's a nineties film through and through, isn't it? It's like a, it's a film we both absolutely love. It's a film we both talk about quite a lot. I'd say. Mm -hmm. I think I spend quite a lot of time attempting to recapture the feeling of having watched seven for the first time that yeah. kind of cat and mouse police procedural even now i'm still like like are there any other films out there like that that aren't shit yeah, yeah. i mean capturing that first time experience of watching it you're right steph it like totally chasing <laughs> that high interestingly my boyfriend had never seen it until recently and watching him watch it for the first time was fascinating, particularly like from this, you know, like 2023 point of view, because I feel like it's so embedded into like my psyche and then just my psyche of the way I like consider the film landscape, particularly because I think that like seven, so many films that came after it are just quite clearly influenced by a lot of the things that Fincher was doing in the film. I find it fucking amazing that this is his only his second film after Aliens 3 <laughs> and that he said he'd rather die of colon cancer than make another movie but then came out with this which has got just about everything you want and is so distinctive as a kind of Fincher film like everything that's followed that you can kind of you've got such a distinct sense of his you know his direction like the lighting the soundtrack like how meticulous he is with every single part of his filmmaking um I don't know I think we spend a lot of time going back to this film thinking about it um so many so many people have tried to replicate it um you still see stuff today like I was thinking about the the opening title sequence and thinking like fucking American Horror Story does shit like that all the time um it's just it, it's just a film that's set the blueprint for so many other things that are followed um it's about as yeah it's iconic 
when did when did you watch it for the first time? Because I'm curious about because you guys are a bit younger than me because I'm old as shit. Um, <laughs> like I saw this in the cinema. <laughs> wow! Oh shit! Okay. Like, yeah, I mean, I, years, yeah, even even me, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> However, yeah, I mean, with a caveat, I wasn't supposed to be seeing it in the cinema because sure. I was 13, and my sister was looking after me because my mum was doing the night shift, and she wanted to go and see it at the cinema with her boyfriend, and my mum was like, "No, you got to look after him." So she just brought me along. Took you along. Love it. That's it an horrifying. amazing film to see at 13, though. I mean, yeah. absolutely mortifying. Yes. Big shout out to the Odeon Swiss Cottage. Not checking anything. <laughs> didn't need a, yeah. yeah, didn't need a signed note for that one. No, balls to your notes. Just, a... I mean, I was yeah. taller than my sister, but that's not hard. She's like four foot two, so it's fine. We did talk about it, didn't we? we like, when, we were, when we decided we were going to pick this film, we sort of were kind of sharing our experiences of when we did see it for the first time and I can't actually pinpoint it but I do know quite like in terms of year but I do know quite vividly that it's likely that it probably was at a sleepover as a kid and it definitely would have been brought to our attention primarily because a it is Brad Pitt and b it, it was an 18 certificate and obviously like that at a sleepover in particular is like pure catnip because it's like the slight unsupervised element and like like you, I guess, going to see it at 13, Ash, it's that like, oh, see, I, I mean, I probably saw it at a very similar age, maybe a bit younger, but yeah, it was probably, for me, it was definitely a sleepover with other people. I'd say it's definitely more effective than, just so being the youngest of three, I would already been subjected to the kilograms from outer space, all the Elm Streets yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> but there's something about Seven that gets under your skin. It's such a nasty film. It, there is a, and it enjoys a, a, it. Yeah, it's it, it revels in its like hyper realistic approach grimy. to yeah, and it's always fucking raining. And it's just a grim film. But um, Brad, what are your are you, are you a seven fan? Of course, I'm a seven fan. Good. Um, so I kind of weird if you weren't. Yeah, it would be very <laughs> weird. Um, I kind of I kind of get where you're coming from when it, you, you there are certain films right where it feels like it just enters your DNA and you can't yeah. point out where that film came from. We, I talked about it recently with Suspiria. I just can't remember the first time I ever watched it because it just feels like it's in a way it's always been a part of me. Yeah. And the thing with Seven that I think is so that was was so ahead of its time in terms of as you say creating this like industrial grime, this sort of fetid, filthy New York. Is it New York? It's New York, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's, it's anonymous. indeterminate. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very. It's, oh, like, it's it, it's anywhere. No city, All we yeah. know is that wherever it is, Gwyneth Paltrow hates it. And yeah. um, I just, I as you say, it's been aped and copied so many times, but no one, even things like Boston Strangler that's come out this year, mm-hmm. they're all just these like yeah. pale yeah. imitations of something that was like such lightning in a bottle. What I wanted to ask you about, we might be skipping a little bit ahead here. I don't know if Ash braced you for this one, but there's a good little intersection here. If John Doe was to kill you, what sin would he kill you for? Oh shit, that's a good question. <gasps> oh god. I'm happy to answer first while you think. Please yeah, go, go for it, it yeah. You're, because you're if you mur- for it. <laughs> yeah, if he murdered me in my 20s, it's lust. I'm I'm fucked. Fair. Literally. Fair. Ha- however, it's become sloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I feel like at this point it probably would be sloth for me. Like if I can put off doing anything for any reason I will do it because I just there's like an innate not it's not even laziness because I don't think I'm lazy but I just there's no drive you know what I mean there's no drive 
I'd almost wow. rather just be doing something else that is primarily sitting down doing nothing, you know? Mm. So let, let's reel them off. So we've got sloth, gluttony, lust, wrath. Oh, should have that as well. That's four. There's three Greed. more. Envy. No, did we Greed. say envy? envy? Greed, envy, and... Um... Gluttony. Pride. Gluttony. Pride. Gluttony. Pride. And pride, yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, throw a fucking dart. I'm fucked. Like, yeah, just... you're all... <laughs> You've got you've got all seven. I know. <laughs> Jesus. Congratulations. It, it would be definitely a combination of sloth and gluttony. Yeah, I think I'm gluttony. Most things are dictated by my stomach. Where I go on holiday, anything I do is dictated by my stomach. I'm concerned I am still lust though. Really? Because most things I want to talk about just involve it's... people that are sexy. Yeah, sexy so... stuff. Yeah. Maybe you're a gluttonous luster. That. You ever think I'm about a... that? What a combo. I am. I'm a glutton for lust. I'm mm. aspiring to be my like my great grand uh, my great aunt who was like 93 and still trying to bag like the postman. Like that's my Hell that's yeah. in my DNA. So. My nan was the same. My nan had four boyfriends in her eighties. Love it. Wow. She turned time. out. Yeah. And like one would turn up and he'd see like his slippers. Another bloke's slippers in the hall, and it used to be a big old drama. So we have repeatedly referred to this being a weirdly sexy film. Uh, mm. I mean, going back to Brad, what you were saying, like the whole vibe is pretty much a Trent Reznor song made real. Uh, mm. Would we all agree that this is peak sexy Brad Pitt? Like, unbelievably so. When I was, I went back and I looked at his filmography just to sort of like see what was before and what was after. Um and it's just this like is post interview with a vampire right yeah, yeah post interview with a vampire um like he's just at his prime like it's just he the... is i mean yeah it's is the prime, only guy who can pull off frosted tips like, like, literally, oh, yeah it shouldn't be sexy but like there's something about this character i mean he's a shit right he's young and he's full of inflated ego he thinks he's done like really big things and he's kind of expecting to do more but I don't know, he's scrappy, he's sort of chewing gum and he's just a chump, but he's in a like a squeaky suit and I fucking love it. He's 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 David Fincher's Johnny Utah. Yes. Yes. Because I, I always thought there was pre-seven Brad Pitt where he had a bit yeah. of a monkey a bit of a monkey vibe to him. It, yeah. it was in the lips. It was a bit monkey like a river runs through it and all that lot. So uh, yeah, but what happens when you get Robert Redford from Wish, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> But then this film came along and it might have just been the wisp of the beard and the sadness in the eyes. It's the eyes. Yeah. It's the it's, eyes, 100%. It's, it's between this and Fight Club and I feel like he's got significantly fewer Ugh. STDs in this film than he would have. Yeah. In but he's got, the, he's got the cum gutters in Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, I think that might make it even sexier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, I, interesting, it's interesting to think about those two Brad Pitt films as like a real, because Fight Club's another big film, another big Fincher film for me, yeah. and another big Brad Pitt film for me. But they are like the two, but that from that particular decade, I think for me anyway, they're like the two iconic standout roles where I think that he is just looking like absolutely perfect. I would like to add a third to the mix and say California. Okay, yeah, sure. Oh, California. Because he's so like dirty. dirty proper grimy in that, I, bet, yeah. I bet his cock and balls stink. That's but... like he looks like nasty. he smelled in that film. Yeah, that's but evil kind of Floyd. Sexy... It's evil Floyd from True Romance in California. Yes. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's Basically. the expansive story. Yeah. But it's, it's, and hard, especially... it's a hard 
it's a hard climate to be a Brad Pitt fan nowadays, though, because he's getting he's getting even sexier with age, might I argue, too. But just can't do it anymore. Can't really talk about how much you want to bang Brad Pitt. It's just like, well, ladies, we've he's prov- a shitty we've, person. This is the platform. You can say whatever you like here. <laughs> this is a safe I space. So I just want to fucking open him up. So, I, I think the sexiest bit actually is when he's rolling around on the floor with those dogs. He's like, I, I yeah, I'm just going to get the <laughs> rolling around in the newspaper. You mentioned earlier about the uh, credit sequences. Tell me more. It's just so just, iconic. Like it's one of the, I think it just like perfectly sets the tone for the film. Like they're so unsettling and unnerving, and like the visuals combined with the song. Like I just feel like you know what you're getting off the bat. Like I read a quote where I think David Fincher has said to Kyle Cooper, who was the guy that did the final titles, he said, "All I want is for the audience to want to run screaming from the theater during the title section." Um. Which feels like properly apt because it just sets the mood. It's been replicated so many times, hasn't it? I was, we watched um, Frailty. Do you remember Frailty? Oh, Phil Paxton. Yeah. Yeah, Great fucking movie. They've got a really similar kind of montage scene at the beginning and then like Red Dragon, Bone Collector. Again, loads of people have tried to replicate it. And that's the really like American Mm. horror story thing as well. But Mm. um, I don't think I'd really twig when I was younger that it's, very much kind of from John Doe's perspective. So it's like April says, setting the mood, you know, it's it's his meticulous like research, his setup. Um, hadn't quite twigged that when I was younger, but um, it's just fucking cool. And it's got it's got that coil remix of Nine Inch Nails. I didn't realize until recently uh, that they got rid of the Howard Shaw opening title theme that he'd like written as part of the actual score in favor of um, the Nine Inch Nails remix, which like makes so much sense now, but can you imagine just being Howard Shaw and just being like, "Yeah, we're just gonna have to cut you now. We just want to put Trent Reznor in." <laughs> that's crazy because, like, the, the one of the things that's so strong and it's so impactful in the film is the score. Exactly, those, yeah. those moments of like, like, really add to the sort of dread of the entire film. Is those like oppressive, like, wow? It's like very brassy isn't it it's kind of harks back to that kind of classic i don't know cop thriller well i i read that fincher had wanted to hire howard shaw off the back of his score for silence of the lambs uh well makes yeah so so much of this film and again because fincher was making this after making a dud essentially so much of this film must ride on the back of how well silence of the lambs did oh 100 percent and and it's and it's interesting because it, it, the both films do get challenged with the same question of you know, are they horror films? Silence of the Lambs is continually listed as the first horror film to win Best Picture, things like. But you know, is it? Is it a horror film? Is Seven a horror film? It's horrifying, but yeah, I mean, I class any, I can class anything as a horror film uh, if if I want to. But um, now I I guess it. It obviously feels like a crime thriller first and a serial killer film second. I guess maybe because for me, it follows the cops investigating more than maybe the murders themselves. I feel like if we saw the perspective of the killer a little more, it might feel more horror adjacent. It has all the beats of a crime procedural. Yeah. Which I think really leans into that. Yeah. Yeah. 
and yet nothing has made me shit my heart out of my asshole more than when the guy coughs. I know what you're going to say. It's... Yeah. It's like, hor- it's like genuinely, genuinely like dread inducing. Like it's horrifying. I remember that. And that's, that's a... the worst kill, right? That's. Yeah. Of the lot. That yeah. victim is. Just. Good left. With. Just the air fresheners. It's the air the... fresheners that do it for me. I can't look at those pine air fresheners. I can't same. either. That's what Magic I think. Magic trees, of. yeah. Magic yeah. <laughs> is is the length of time. It's the amount of twisted planning that has gone into that suffering, like the level of fucking suffering that person has endured over a year. Um is just to it just there's so much of it, so much of this film doesn't actually happen on camera, you know, so much of it is implied. You're you're thinking, you're left thinking about what that person must have gone through to have like their stomach essentially explode or to be left to rot or to be, you know, fucking raped with something. I don't, it's just so oh, it's just the implied nastiness and of it all. There's I mean, you've got John C. McGinley as California. There's some like amazing like supporting cast roles, including obviously now Goop founder Gwyneth Paltrow. Fanny candles. She's a... I was gonna say it would be a fanny in a box now, not a not a head. <laughs> He's really good in this though. Like I'm so she's like great. I'm so yeah. like largely she's whatever so about her good. as an actress, but she's very good in this. I feel like she had a good good mid to late nineties run. Yeah, I'm looking at about... the. I feel like it's. I'm looking at like her f- filmography now, and it's so funny to think about like everything up to about like 2001, when she does Royal Tenenbaums, and everything after that is just like weirdly bizarre. But she's got some really, especially in the 90s, like she's got some really great like roles in that mm. period. I can't even think of what the last thing she did recently. Well, it'd be the Iron Man films, wouldn't it? It's Pepper oh, Potts. Of course it would, yeah. Oh, Pepper Potts. Whoever was she dating is. Brad Pitt around this time? She is. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They meet. They meet during the filming of this, and then they date until I think it was ninety-seven. Oh, now that's the kind of research I do respect. It's just important to know these key moments. Did you just roll that up? Did you just know that? I just know or that. Have you yeah. got Wikipedia and that's family. crazy. If you just knew that, it's just an integral period of time. Just mattered. Just it's seventeen. Mattered. <laughs> really mattered to me. <laughs> one of those things you can go back in time and change anything but it's an integral time point that will stay the same no matter what yes <laughs> and uh obviously our villain is played off camera for a, a good chunk of an hour and then we uh, he's revealed you know detectives i believe you're looking for me um what do we think of spacey's performance i just want to quickly I... say outside of jaws is there a better introduction to your main villain it's so, so good, good. It doesn't let the audience have that satisfaction of kind of following the cops as they, you know, they find the identity of the killer. He just, you're totally expecting this cat and mouse follow the clues to the end. And then he just rocks up and just goes like, hey, yeah, it's me. And you just totally lose that catharsis. But then, of course, you get it at the end where something just even even worse happens. But it is that like, boom, mic drop. Hey, I'm here. He's just so, like, I feel like watching anything with Kevin Spacey in now, like, hits completely different um, to obviously it would have done at the time. But I do think that he just, he plays, like, really creepy, like, 
odd characters so well obviously I think because there is just something about him that's just it's, it's like weird. lack of emotion like John Doe is just so calm and collected and just like you know unfazed by any of this does he talk too much though because he loves the sound of his own voice doesn't Happy. he in the back of that cop car it's like like every single part of it is kind of played but, out and discussed it's just like, but i think that's but that's by design as well because he's irritating yeah. brad pitt so the when we when we get to the denouement it's uh yeah, it, it's kind of a, almost an unavoidable consequence at that point. Because I was so something that troubled me on this watch, right, is the whole thing is it's been designed so that he's envious. Pitt is wrathful. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't Morgan Freeman shoot him? I don't think there's a get like a gotcha thing. I think isn't it by design? <laughs> no, but like I mean, it's by design. But like Morgan Freeman has the ability to stop yeah. it if he shoots. John Doe, but then yeah. is that him being raffle? I don't I think it is. It, yeah, I, I I find it fascinating when you like when you get into the like who should have done what in that final scene, um, because it's just it is interesting that like Somerset just feels like he can tr he tries to like talk Mills out of doing it when 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 essentially it's like you could just do it for him and save him, especially because he knows that you know like. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow's character is pregnant like he knows that if Mills shoots John Doe then that's going to be the end of everything that's going to be the end of his life because he's going to be the one that's going to be punished so it's like Somerset's reached that point in his life where actually he's the old guy like he's not that he's not got anything to live for he but just he's just wants to fucking retire life. man two you weeks know, retirement going to prison for him would be like whatever I'm sure but yeah it's fascinating that he just doesn't step in and do it for him he just tries to be like yeah yeah just don't you know don't do it. That he wants you to do that. Don't do like, it. Don't give him the satisfaction. Yeah. Don't pay yeah. in. I yeah. kind of feel that it's it's more because you, you see how um, Somerset approaches Mills from the start of the film versus where they end up. He and which considering it's such a, a a a very compact time frame that the film takes place over, he kind of seems to quickly become a, like a father figure to him. And mm -hmm. I so I've always interpreted that end bit of it's like look, I'm not going to shoot him and then go to prison for the next well, 14 years that I'm going to stay alive because it was the 90s, but like it, it was it was him trying to talk him down off the ledge to kind of say look yeah, yeah. I don't want you to do this it's not just that it's not just because I want the best for you I I want benefit of I've, I have a friend I have yeah. uh, what what's almost like a a, a paternal instinct kicking in here. Mm. Yeah, um, it's a fascinating... in real life, you've got a baby and a and a wife. Not anymore. <laughs> well, oh shit! Yeah, sorry, spoilers. It's a fascinating. Yeah. It's like a genuinely a fascinating reading of like what he thinks their dynamic is after what is probably mm. like what I don't know a week or however long it is. Like because he is he, kind of a dick at the start. Yeah, they don't get on, do they? Like Mills is like really like just quite arrogant and cocky and thinks he knows better than Mills. Uh, than Somerset. They bond over trains. Like when he, when he goes for the dinner, when he goes to the dinner and the oh, yeah. the apartment shakes because of the subway or the trains, that's where um, you see him first open up and be warm with him, and then from then like on, the smile. But yeah. but yeah, as you say, I've had I've had pints of milk in my fridge longer than their friendship, and I, I'm I'm not going to stop that from doing anything. It it just it it, it it troubled me this time because I was like, there's a way around this that could have been resolved, mm. but 
A good <laughs> kicking. A good fucking kicking. Levering. Yeah. Maybe he's just so downtrodden that he just because he is. He's just so nihilistic and downtrodden. Maybe he's just kind of. I don't know. Can't be arsed. He's can't be arsed. Can't, 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 can't be fucking arsed. Like, it'd anyway. just be so much effort, man. I just doesn't want to deal with the paperwork. Why don't you just no. lie about what's in the box? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> Furby. It's, it's a Furby. It's, 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 it's my Hello Fresh delivery. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> fucking substitutes again. I asked for a cucumber. There's some woman's head in there. Yeah, a this head of lettuce. <laughs> This was sorry. This is like smack bang in the middle of just whilst we're talking about uh, Somerset and Will Freeman. This is like smack bang in the middle of like a, a hell of a run for Freeman as well. Like pretty much starting from Prince of Thieves, going all the way through Shawshank and this, and he just becomes iconic over this period of time. It's like peak of his career as well. I yeah. mean, what a cast for this film. Yeah, out and, and out. And to think, other than Pitt, I mean, even to an extent, Pitt. None of them were really considered like top tier talent at that point is this the, a star maker for of... Pitt? yeah surely God, I, mean, what can I was trying to work out who the biggest name would like who the biggest name would be because they deliberately kept kevin spacey out of the marketing didn't they it made him like hmm. a big reveal but who would have been the is morgan freeman kind of the top billing yeah in this is it point? is it morgan freeman because this is the year after Shawshank, isn't it? Yeah, but from like a studio negotiation, boring studio negotiation point of view, I guess they would have already shot Shawshank by that point. Uh, Space yeah. uh, Usual Suspects would have been shot by that point. Mm. That was ninety four, wasn't it? It's like an interesting convergence for all yeah. four of them. I think. Yeah, it is. But Brad Pitt also must have had quite a bit of pulling power because, mm. or just power generally, because didn't they originally, the studios had a different ending for this film to the one that was written. So this was the ending that was written, but they wanted to go basically with a softer ending and have Gwyneth Paltrow's character live and make it out of the city. Um, and Brad Pitt was the one that was like, fuck no, you have to off. stay with the original. Um, and yeah, that's how... So he obviously had a bit of weight behind him to be able to do that. Mm. It wasn't like Finch's call, basically. He didn't he didn't have the Funny power fact. to be like, no, I want to stick with this. But well, imagine if we had that ending. All of the advertising as well, like Lee is that iconic po- I mean, this is what I remember about it being in the video shop, is that iconic poster that it is just like yeah. Brad Pitt's face, Morgan Freeman's face, and then just seven, and then the tagline, and then the actual like list of the seven mm. deadly sins. So it's like going off the back of those two in particular. I've just yeah. checked, and Pitt does have top billing. Yeah, there we go. Interesting. So I guess he did have stuff like a river yeah. runs through it, and an interview with a vampire yeah. under his yeah. belt. He just wasn't like it probably wouldn't call him like upper. Essentially, now they yeah. yeah. If you if you look at someone like Chalamet, how quickly they started like he did one film where they, everyone's eyes were on him, and now all of a sudden he's front and center of all films. Oh yeah, he can call anything now. Like he's got a lot of. Clout, but it? that happened quite quickly like the yeah from 2017 yeah. to literally a year later he's already kind of doing his beautiful boy and making terrible fucking drug addicted <laughs> movies Brad Pitt at this point as well is like prime heartthrob status as well so I feel like oh, that yeah. there's the pitching it to that that like largely female audience that would be likely to engage with the Brad Pitt film this is why it's fascinating to me that like this particular film because it's pretty like very grimy and, and in contrast to a lot of the sort of like in the to come after like a river runs through it is just like 
Um, it seemed like California, he made that decision. He was like, I could go the Robert Redford route, but I will always be pegged as yeah. another an other Robert Redford. Whereas if I start going down this road, I can be, be Brad Pitt as such. That, that, that's what I will, I will be known for is someone who's going to take these roles which don't necessarily paint me out to be the pretty boy where I am going to get my nails dirty and I think we've been pretty bit stinky yeah he, he, he does he kind of does these these kind of peaks and troughs of it because then after uh you then had it in the the millennium hit and then he started Ocean's Eleven he started to make more of the the populist uh, Mr and Mrs Smith and more of the populist films and then towards the end of it he dipped again and now he's back doing like bullet train and things like that he just seems to do this ebb and flow between Oh, and I'll be I'll be the movie star to oh no I want to do something that's a, a little bit fucked now it's for, really the, for this and, decade really back and forth yeah like because yeah. he does twelve monkeys after this mm. and then sleepers in ninety six and then but then you get like seven years into bet meet Joe Black and then he goes straight to Fight oh, Club yeah. so it's just this you're right it's this constant back and like forth roller coaster yeah mm. between like you know like heartthrobby you know leading man roles to this like sort of grimy just yeah just it's such an interesting contrast it's funny that meet joe black has one of his biggest openings in in uh mm. in, in in his in his career in the u.s and it was uh, uh, but but no one actually stayed to watch the film they went to go and watch the phantom menace trailer oh wow i didn't know that <laughs> that's hilarious yeah so it got like this in that first week it got a massive bump of people buying tickets because no youtube no quick time nothing like that it was a case if you wanted to see the new star wars trailer you had to go that's to the wild. Meetings. That's <laughs> wild to imagine a period of time where you like that would be a draw. Yeah. Have you guys got anything else more to say about what is what we can all pretty much agree on is a, an all timer, just a fucking incredible movie. It's just I think like thinking about that final scene, I just don't think there's ever been. Well, there's there are so few instances where I can think of like an ending that like ramps up with such layers of tension as that, like this final showdown in the desert with the helicopter, the van, the box, all of that, like playing out. Um, and it's the kind of the contrast as well between you spent so much time in darkness and in shadow and it feels so claustrophobic. And then you go out into like the r blinding sunshine in that desert. And it just feels kind of, I don't know, you're kind of blinkered and you're just, you're watching it just kind of, I don't know, it's just very overwhelming, everything about it, isn't it? Mm. Um, it completely shifts the tones. Yeah, 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 totally. And re-watching it as well, um, even knowing the twist ending, kind of makes it worse because I'm dreading it from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. And I just start to feel more and more sick <laughs> as we kind of hurtle towards that conclusion. It's probably the one of the, one of the major examples as well of a film where loads of people know the ending without actually having seen the film, just because what's in the box became such a. I don't. I don't remember it being at the time. This could just be a poor memory. I don't think it really was at a time, but over the last say, like ten to fifteen years, for sure, what's in the box has just become shorthand at this point. You think the internet's had a play, yeah. in like the memification of. I use the word memification. I love that word. Good word, great, it's it? a great word. It's word. such a good word. It's so good. It's very satisfying. Mm. Um, I mean, I, by way of example for that, during lockdown, uh, we were doing. You know, when we had that 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 period at the beginning of lockdown, where you were just doing fucking Zoom quizzes like every week, 
um, we did one with my family, all of whom do not really watch films, but Wes and I decided to do a film round and we made little videos of different like famous film scenes and people had to guess using our guinea pigs as props. And we did what's in the box the guinea pig in the box i didn't take her head off but she was in the box and like they all knew it and it's like you haven't watched this fucking film but they just knew it you chickened out i know i know it's like do it now could have gone all the way could do it could do it it's not method not method enough the excellent video show does not condone violence against animals in any way shape or form or guinea pigs glad to hear it (laughs) speak for yourself We don't talk about that. such Brad. a weird way to end this. We, yeah. we, don't, we don't talk Jesus about what Brad Christ, does with Brad. guinea pigs. I've just, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm a little no, nervous. No, I'm not about that life. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't fight animals. Is this your favourite film, Fincher film? Good question. Good question. I think it's my favourite. I think Zodiac's is best. But how yeah. often are you like, oh, I'm in really the mood to sit down and watch... The near three and a half hour long Zodiac. All the time. All the Constantly. time. Constantly. All the time I'm on. Genuinely. I'm like, yeah. I just watch Zodiac. Just stick it on whilst I'm doing the ironing. Like, yeah. Oh, RDJ. Yeah, it is the le- it is basically the length that puts me off doing yeah. it as regularly yeah. as I but I feel with like with most Fincher films, you know, when you're just scrolling mindlessly through Netflix, I'm like, yeah, I could yeah, I could watch that. I could just watch just go pretty much in it. Yeah, yeah, so many of them over and over again. But I don't even know. I think I'm... you're right. Zodiac might be his best. I don't even know why I'm like slagging it off for like because it is quite a slow film. I don't even know why I'm like dismissing it in that way because I think the the whole thing that the only the way that me and April got talking on Twitter was because of my love for Moneyball because that's a film that I could just put on at any right, point maybe, on any day and just ah oh, just chill. Just watch Moneyball. It's a calming, yeah, com- yeah like comfort yeah. film. Yeah, and Zodiac is like that, but way hor- more horrible <laughs> April um, is it yours your is, which, which is your favourite Zodiac's my favourite Zodiac is my favourite but I think this is definitely I mean it's 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 more, uh, yeah it is yeah I mean I just have such a fondness for Zodiac Fight Club is the David Fincher film I will have seen the most purely because I just watched it religiously as a teenager um, but this book, yeah. like Seven is the origin, you know, I think it must be the probably if it wasn't Fight Club, the first one I saw, it would have been Seven, you know, um, and it just sets the tone for everything thereafter, doesn't it? So I think it's just, you know, for that reason alone, it's it's definitely up there. I, I did do a I did do a very uh, this was like a, a lockdown project as well. I did like a ranking, you know, just like ranking directors all the time. Um, and I can't remember what my Fincher ranking was, but I think it was top top three. Yeah. I'm gonna to have to say Mank. I feel really bad that I'm at yeah. a point in my life where I'm not actually enough, Brad. I'm not that fussed about new Fincher stuff, but I Mank did that much of a job on me where I'm like, oh, I don't really mind now. Whereas I love like Mindhunter was great. Yeah, well, I mean Mank Mank, Mank isn't my actually my favourite just on record. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna really go for Mank. I'm gonna really go for Mank. And Mank. Killed the um, conversation there. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> no, I mean the thing is, I I think he's made. I don't think he's necessarily made a bad film. Mank being the worst of them, mm-hmm. um, but looking at it here, like as I see it laid out in front of me on his on his filmography, it's such a fucking hard pick. It's so but hard. It's really hard because it. I think it depends on the day it catches you. So I think tomorrow I might be Fight Club, but today I'm maybe Zodiac, and then. Mm-hmm. 
I could be seven. I would say those are the top three, but then there's like there's social three, network and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've social just network. looked. Girl. I've just looked, and my top three was Zodiac, Social Network, Fight Club, and then it was seven, the number four. Oh, April. Well, I, for- you know. I forgot about Social Network as well. You love that film as well. I do. It's like Moneyball. It's a film that I, I guess I'm just a real big sucker for these uh, biopics. B u y o p i c. Whatever the people are calling them now. I'll tell you what, they're going to write books about how funny that was. My favourite film of the year is Air, so far. (laughs) I guess I just like products. (laughs) Love stuff. Fucking capitalist tit sucker ears. Yeah, I'm not going to buy it, but I'll watch all about it. Yeah, you'll stream it for free. Um, But yeah, so other than that, I think that's about the time to put Seven to bed. Where I've had a Go watch it again now. Um, But to wrap things up, april steph thank you so much for coming on giving us your time giving us your insight um if people want to know more about you you can find us on twitter um at the thirst and you can find our podcast by searching for the thirst or the first podcast in all your uh, usual podcast providing locations uh this will be coming out around august september time I don't know if you have a new season or anything coming out around that time or if there's anything specifically occurring or maybe you've got writing coming out or anything like that. Anything you want to shout at? I have the second volume of my zine coming out. It is called Outsider and it is a Stephen King zine um, and it features uh, writing essays, um, some short stories and some illustrations uh, by non folks and trans men that's the second edition that will be out very soon and if you search outsider on social media you will find it beautiful oh yeah so again just to reiterate what brad said thank you for coming on this is probably my favorite episode so far i did not even pandering for once uh and yeah that was so sweet thanks so much definitely want you uh back on at some point oh yeah anytime with you being from Norfolk, have we got a second series? Oh, give us a second series, you shit. <laughs> <laughs> Need to wait a whole I'm episode. Like, this is totally lost on me because I'm the only person that doesn't watch Alan Partridge. <laughs>